Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is your host, Tom Salemi. Thanks for taking a few minutes to visit with us today. Our guest is Stephen Fromm. He is president and CEO of iGate Pharma. Uh, iGate has had quite a year. The company managed to go public a year ago. Uh, Unfortunately, the company faced some of its uh, own challenges that Stephen will hit upon in a few minutes. But it did manage to raise $4 million uh, in an unconventional IPO, enough to keep the company going forward and to uh, pursue a partner for its uh, product to treat uveitis. Uh, Igate and Stephen Fromm were able to go forward. They struck uh, an interesting deal with Valiant Pharmaceuticals, who's of course not known for interest in early stage uh, opportunities, but it committed another million dollars to the company and signed a deal that uh, could equal much, much more than that, uh, giving the company the legs it needed to follow even more capital, to raise even more capital from the public market. So, iGate is one of those companies that uh, is finding a way to move the ball up the field. And it's the kind of story we certainly like to tell here. Looking past the financials, the company uh, had some uh, clinical trial um, milestones to report, uh, some progress in its uh, clinical trials that uh, Stephen will get into in a moment. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he'll uh, share some uh, early details on some intriguing technology that iGate hopes to be pursuing in the future. So I hope you enjoy this visit uh, with Stephen Fromm of iGate Pharma. Stephen Fromm, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tom, and thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. You've had a, a busy year, and I'm sure it's uh, going to get busier. Uh, you recently announced that you've uh, begun a second phase three trial. Uh, it's actually a confirmatory study, right, for EGP-437 as a treatment for uveitis. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that news, why it's important, and uh, tell us a bit about the trial itself? Yeah, of course. So as you mentioned, it's our confirmatory or second phase three study for anterior uveitis. Um, using HGP-437 delivered with our, you know, unique delivery platform, the iontophoretic system. And so this is really important for us because it's potentially leading after this trial to an NDA filing, so which gets us one step closer to being a commercial product. And so that's really exciting for us. It'll be the first time that a brand-new delivery vehicle is being used in ophthalmology in a long time, and it's unique technology, as I mentioned, iontophoresis. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be really exciting you know, to be able to have something like this approved. So tell us a bit about your, your technology. Now, iGate, is it, uh, would you consider it a platform company with products or a product company with platform? Or am I making a distinction that really doesn't exist? No, I think the distinction exists. So right now we are a platform product, or sorry, a platform company with products. But, you know, um, we went public recently, and I think, Part of our strategy is to become more than that mm-hmm. and to grow up to be a real ophthalmology company per se. What was that? Let's let's kind of move into the uh, the, the public uh, the move onto the public markets. You, you took a, a you had your IPO earlier this year. It was a, a an unusual approach to, to doing it, but I think it's one that many other companies would like to replicate if they could to get access to some, some monies on the public market. 
What was the uh, IPO experience like? Can you can you tell us a bit about the process? Yeah, that was interesting because, as you mentioned, we did a little bit differently, and it was more based on circumstance of iGate than anything else. I mean, we would have preferred to have done a traditional IPO route. Um, we, you know, we were in a position, unfortunately, where our current investors, venture capitalists, just didn't have the ability to keep funding the company. You know, they're they're more your smaller VCs uh, based in in France, the majority shareholders, and so they were running out of funds themselves, and so we had to figure out a way to go forward and. They weren't keen on us going and doing another private round. Mm-hmm. They, they really thought they would lose control of the company without being able to participate in a meaningful manner. So I was able to find a way. Luckily, the markets were in pretty good shape. So I was able to find a way to help take us public without doing it the traditional route. Now, how much did you raise in that offering? And, and what was different about this process than, than say, a, a more traditional IPO process? Right. So it started out as a traditional IPO process, but, you know, because we didn't have any participation coming from our insiders, it was really difficult to get traction Mm -hmm. with the larger investment community. They wanted to see that they weren't being abandoned. So what we decided to do was do a small raise and go OTCQB. So it wasn't a traditional NASDAQ listing. So we did an OTC. We raised $4.1 back in early February of 2015. And that allowed us to go public. So that was a really good first step. And But you don't want to stay OTC. So our thoughts were very quickly, we want to get up to NASDAQ. So now we're a public company and we needed to do something that would allow us to go raise further funds, which would be sufficient enough to go up to NASDAQ. So the one thing that I, that there's only two things really that can help you do that. One is data and the other is getting a, a nice licensing deal done. Mm-hmm. And so we, we focused on doing both of those in parallel, and I was lucky enough to get a deal done with Bosch and Loam slash Valiant, which was sufficient enough for us to go out and do a, a larger fundraise, a $10 million fundraise, which closed in August, and that was sufficient to go up to NASDAQ. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the, and uh, just to, to finish life on the, on the public markets, and, and you were able to raise some additional monies uh, later in the summer, correct, or, or in the fall? Yeah, so that's the $10 million I just mentioned. Yep. So we, we, we did a $4 million OTC listing in February. Um, July 9th, we closed the Valiant deal. August 4th, we closed a $10 million um, raise um, publicly. So that allowed us, that was, again, sufficient to go up to NASDAQ. Well, that's one of the, well, it's not a secret per se, but one of the things about biotech IPOs that always gets uh, overlooked is the, the fact that the VCs themselves still have to keep Kicking in and keeping their shares as uh, as a lot of these companies find their way to the public markets. It's a real challenge. It is a challenge, you know, and, and typically they would expect the strategics of the larger partners to come in and take over. And so that's why I focused on that. It made a lot of sense since my VCs weren't in a position to keep on funding the program mm-hmm. that I go look for strategic help. And so that was really the impetus for me, you know, going out and reaching out to all the large pharma companies. And you and you did find one. You mentioned Bausch and Lomb, Valiant, uh, and uh, the deal is, and you can give us some more details. But they're funding the trial that we opened up this this conversation with, at least starting providing some uh, some of the money for that. You you've got uh, uh, from what I've read from the S one documents uh, a million up front from Valiant, and then could receive milestone payments of uh, thirty two and a half million. Is that uh, are those figures about right? Yeah, that's correct. So we did the licensing deal. We were able to do it fairly quickly because what we did, so this is this is a really another interesting story. Um, because we wanted it done quickly, we kept it at the one indication, which is in phase three, 
which is uveitis. And so the size of the transaction really reflects the size of the market for a corticosteroid in anterior uveitis. But it's, it's obvious that Valiant or Bosch and Lohm is interested in larger indications. Mm-hmm. So in order to get the deal done quickly, we focused on uveitis, which was easier for both parties, easier for them because we had our first phase three completed. And they're more of a, a risk-free type of organization. They typically only do transactions with products that have been approved. They don't usually do research or development type transactions. Mm-hmm. So it was another way to get them uh, get them more comfortable with the company and our platform was to focus on this smaller um, indication. And then they have the first right for other indications with the same drug device combination. And you're right about, about Valiant. Were you surprised sort of to have them uh, show interest in a, in a company at this stage or, or does UVI just present such a great opportunity that, uh, that, that it's clear that why they would be interested in, in this partnership? A good question. It's actually, I don't, I saw there was a bit of surprise because as I mentioned, they, they don't do a lot of licensing deals or research deals. And I don't think it's uveitis per se. I think it's the platform. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a unique platform. One of the things that's really great about our platform is it's so simple to use that we even include optometrists in our studies, in our phase threes. And for, you know, for Bosch and Loam, they have a really strong franchise for corticosteroid eye drops, and a large portion of the prescriptions come from the optometry community. So it was really important to be able to have a platform that could be utilized by the ophthalmologist as well as the optometrist, and it provides a new revenue stream for the optometrist because there'll be a reimbursement code for the, the treatment or the procedure. That's interesting, and they're, and they're two very different populations, so I, I could see it being a great challenge for a smaller company trying to sell into both. Well, that was our other. So when I was out on the road the first time, we talked about the small IPO. That's one of the main questions everybody focused on. You're going into the second phase three. That's when you start putting your sales and marketing team in place to get ready for launch. How do you plan on doing that? And so it was a, it was a difficult question to try and answer because at that time I did not have a, a you know, a licensing agreement in place. Mm-hmm. So you have to play. You have to have a foot in both camps and say, look, we're we're going to get ready, and at the same time we're talking. The organizations that we'd like to license it to. So it was much easier the second time, you know, five and a half months later when I'm out on the road trying to raise more money because I had the licensing agreement in my back pocket. And so that's what I led with. And that got a lot more people comfortable. And that's how we were successful at raising the 10 million. And we did it, you know, fairly quickly. We're going to take a quick break from this conversation to invite you to come to OIS at ASCRS. To register, go to ois.net. It's a snazzy new website. It's just been redesigned, but you can still find the register button there. Register, and uh, you'll be seeing us on May 5th in New Orleans. If you would like to tell your company's story on the stage of OIS, of course, go to the presenting application button. Push that. Share your information and your story, and uh, we hopefully will see you on stage at a future OIS. Now back to this conversation. One of the, the weaknesses of uh, this format is, is the inability to, to see things. But can you can you just give us a sense? Of how is this your your how is your uh, technology simple enough to use in in both markets and can be used in the optometry market? Can you describe what it looks like and sort of what how how it works? Yeah. So you know the technology itself it's a it's a little applicator or cup I call it that sits on your eye, mm-hmm. and it actually this treatment is done in office. 
So it would be the optometrist or ophthalmologist that places it on your eye. And one of the interesting things, is, as you're aware and the audience is probably aware, putting steroid into the eye can cause side effects. And the one that we're most mindful of is an increase in ocular pressure. What we've been able to show in all of our studies, including the, the first phase three uveitis, is that we mitigate that issue. We're not really seeing the traditional spikes. In fact, in that first phase three, the design was against corticosteroid drops, that was against the standard of care. And we actually had a better safety profile than the drops did, even though we're putting dexamethasone into the eye in large quantities of it. So that's where the optometrist community comes in, and that's also why a large company like Bosch & Lohm got excited. Because, you know, the optometrists want, they want what I call the softer steroid, the ones that don't have to, or they, where they won't have to deal with those complications or side effect issues. Sure. So you get the best of both worlds with our product. You've got a strong steroid, which gives the ophthalmologist comfort that it's going to be uh, potent enough to take care of the more severe inflammation, and it gives the optometrist comfort that it's not causing the traditional problems that you see. And so they can use it like a soft steroid on more ocular surface type conditions. So will your new trial, and forgive me if you already said this, will it, will it include optometrists in there or is it just ophthalmologists? Yeah, yes. yep. mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. In the first study, we had some optometrists in, and we're including even more optometrists in the second phase three. And are they, I'm not as familiar with optometry as I, as I will be because it it's an interesting area and it's one that uh, I want to learn a lot more about. But uh, how is it having them involved in a, in a clinical trial? I assume that they they're follow the, the similar protocols and uh, just, as, uh, just as able to, to, to participate in a trial as ophthalmologists? Yeah, so again, another good question. So it, it's not as easy. So yes, they do have to follow all the same rules. So there aren't as many sites. So when, when we look at optometry sites, we're looking at the larger academic institutions, mm -hmm. not the small private ones, because they're set up to do um, clinical trials. They don't do a lot of them, but they're able to handle that. Fascinating. So what are some of the other areas you may pursue? I know you had uh, earlier on in your life, you had a, a focus on, on dry eye. Is that still a, a, an area of interest going forward or is it, uh, are you looking well, in other gonna, spaces? Where, where we're focusing first is on two other indications. One's back of the eye and that's macular edema. And the other one's going to be um, inflammation post-cataract surgery. Okay, so those are two larger indications or markets than uveitis. So they make a lot more sense for us to focus first. I still believe ocular surface is a great place for us to go to, but I still see a lot of difficulty in getting drugs approved for dry eye. And I, I don't think it's for the faint of heart, and I'd rather focus on these two first before I go back to dry eye. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And finally, what does the, the next uh, 12 to 24 months look like for, for EyeGate? What are you hoping to accomplish, both clinically right, so and financially? Yeah, that's a, okay. So we've got one product that's in the clinic. Okay, so we're going to focus on EGP four three seven as much as we can. Like I mentioned, macular edema, where we had really great data showing that we can take the edema down in all types of, of macular edema um, patient populations. The cataract surgery, inflammation. We're also then looking at doing another version of our device. So we're using iontophoresis with a little small, tiny electric current being applied. And so we need to put a charge on the drug. We're actually taking that electronics, miniaturizing it, and putting it into a contact lens. We're also loading drug up into the contact lens. Hmm. And we're looking at having this version of contact lens that could be used at home to treat back-of-the-eye diseases like macular degeneration.
Now, would the function of the lens be purely delivery, or would it have vision correcting qualities as well? Well, it's, it, we're, we're not there yet, but you can envision <laughs> it having both. So the way we're looking at it right now is it's something that you would probably wear for a couple of hours at a time, maybe once to twice a week, and it would be disposable. So it'd be your typical materials that you'd see in soft contact lenses. And we're working on the prototype right now. We're hoping to have our first animal data towards the end of this quarter, early next quarter. And are you looking for other partners in that space or given your relationship with Valiant, does that sort of, do you have to go through them first before even seeking other partners? So we're not seeking other partners right now for, especially for that earlier project. We want to develop that further and that way it allows to create more value with that. Once we've done that, we think that'll be really valuable. We think that's going to change the way a lot of people think, you know, about treating back of the eye diseases. If you have, you know, a contact lens powered, you know, hopefully wirelessly, and it gives you the ability to treat yourself for macular degeneration or other retinal diseases in the comfort of your own home with a disposable contact lens. So the, the other thing too, though, before, before we depart, is that we're also looking at other assets. Now that we're a public company and we have access to a different type of resource base than when we were private, we'd like to grow beyond iontophoresis and become more of an ophthalmology company. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at other assets that perhaps they're housed in companies that were in a similar position that iGate was in a year ago. And so we're looking to see if we can get access either through in-licensing or acquiring other assets. Do you think you have the ability to uh, raise the funds necessary to to complete those kind of deals? Or do you have it already in the bank with with the monies you've raised so far? So we have enough money to complete the development for uveitis Mm -hmm. and to do a few other small projects. I think if we bring on exciting enough assets, that will be, you know, the impetus to go out and raise further funds. But it'd be for a good reason. And I don't really see it being overly dilutive if we're we're doing that to create value with other assets that we bring in. Fascinating. Well, Greg, congratulate you on the the start of the trial and uh, your successful fundraising in the public markets. It's obviously a tumultuous time, uh, more so than last year, but, uh, but it's uh, great to have access to the capital you'll need to grow the company. Great. I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you very much. Stephen Fromm, thanks for joining us on the podcast and sharing the iGate Pharma story. Uh, it's great to see a company that really is working to uh, keep the pro- keep its programs moving forward to finding a way to getting it done. Uh, the OTC IPO is uh, you know, somewhat unorthodox, but clearly effective and has positioned the company uh, to move forward into some new exciting directions. So thanks for sharing your story, for being so candid, and uh, thank you for uh, listening to the OIS podcast. Don't forget, we would love to see you on May 5th at OIS at ASCRS. Go to OIS.net, register, and we will see you in New Orleans.